So take your Bibles, and if you have a thumb tab, that's cheating. That's cheating. If you have a thumb tab, that's cheating. And uh, if you look at your table of contents, that's cheating. Uh, because I didn't have a thumb tab, but I did look at the table of contents. Amen on that one. If you would, take your Bibles, go to the book of Joel, and, uh, and I'll help you. It's between Hosea and Amos. How was that? Yeah, so if I can have a little bit more down here, Brother Webb, on the floor, Brother Newland, that would be awesome. And uh, the book of Joel, and if you kind of like there in chapter 1 and verse number 1, Graham, and uh, is it Graham, right? Yes, it's Graham. I called you Ethan earlier, and I was like, what am I calling you Ethan for? But Graham, it's good to have your dad. Did you find it, Dad? Okay, all right, all right. You know, you're going to need to help Graham find that one. Uh, but anyway, so uh, the book of Joel, and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a great day it is to be in your house. And God, our hearts are full just with your love and your mercy. And uh, the young ladies that sang the choir, the congregational, meeting people. Uh, that are telling me about the day they got saved, the testimonies that were given this morning by the men in the choir. And Lord, that's, those are great days. It just proves to us that we are not here in Longview, Texas by accident, that we are not here by anyone's design but yours. You have gone ahead of us like we talked about last week, and you have blessed us. And Lord, I ask that this morning... Once again, you would give us your marching orders for our lives from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week I was thinking about the grace of God and how that the grace of God has truly brought us to the point that we're at. I was born in 1967. That is young compared to a lot of other people in this auditorium. Uh, that is old compared to some of you, but that is, that is quite young. Uh, and when I meet somebody who was born in 1967 and they happen to, a uh, life has uh, uh, put them in a situation, maybe a nursing home or a wheelchair, I am praising God uh, that uh, he has been good to me. But in 1967, I don't know if you know this or not, they really had no child safety laws. Uh, they didn't care about children. How many remember taking a trip on vacation and your parents would stuff you in the back window, Right? Yeah, yeah. How many would fight for the back window? Oh, yeah. That way you can make, you can make uh, stick your tongue out at the truckers coming up behind you. And, uh, or, or you could do this. How many remember that? And every time that trucker get up next to dad and blow that horn, he said, you kids, stop that. And uh, never understood the logic of parents. Um, when you pass a policeman and all the kids want to turn and stare, and uh, our parents would go, don't look at them, don't look at them, like, I don't understand that because what are they going to do? Come get you if you're not doing anything wrong. Anyway, so, uh, so you know, in 1967, uh, they would uh, put you in the back seat and you would sit down. And in 1967, the cars were uh, heavier in 1967 and they were much more secure, uh, maybe, in 1967. They were not made out of aluminum or plastic or things of that nature. Um, it would take three children to shut the back door, uh, you know. You could literally hang on the back door and it wouldn't bend it. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of pros to uh, being born uh, back then. But, but truly, child safety uh, was not thought of. A child could ride in the front seat uh, back then. And everybody knew that the greatest safety invention ever was the arm of a mother. Now, when I was uh, three and four, that worked. 
But I can remember when I was like 16 or 17 and my mom went like that. I just started laughing. I was like, like, Mom, you're going to stop me? And she was like, son, it's habit. Deal with it. And uh, so, but, but there is a correlation uh, with uh, growing up that in 1967, back there in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, you would sit in that back seat, and the only thing that you could see was the sky. I don't know if you all have those random memories that strike you funny about your childhood. Uh, Kim and I, uh, from uh, kindergarten to second or third grade, went to our local public school there, and, and we can remember a lot of things. Those memories come back. Those memories just come back. And one of the memories is, for me, is being in the back of my mom or my dad's car and I would sit there, and as just a little man, I would just look out that window. And the only thing you could see uh, was the sky, maybe some power lines, um, maybe an airplane every once in a while. We used to uh, look into the clouds and see what kind of formation they were. And my mom and my dad or somebody would say, hey, look, 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 it's a plane. Do you see it? And I was like, no, I don't see it. And then I would say, hey, it's a man's face. And they were like, I said, Mom, do you see it? She said, oh, yes, son, I see it. I wonder how many times she lied to me. And so, so you know you would look, and, that, and that's all you saw. And then the older you, 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 you got, then the sky started disappearing into reality. When I saw the sky, it was, I thought that's how everybody lived. And growing up, that's why... We can truly say, and my sister sometimes and I will talk about, we can truly talk about the good times of growing up. This is the great times. My, when, my dad, when my father worked for GM, Kim and I are one year apart, and, and, and just the, the good times. Like the good time I ran away from home. The, the good time I went down to the end of the street in the pit down there, and I'm, and I, and I'm, and I'm trying to shovel, building a pit. We spent an entire summer taking this man's lot in the backside, and we dug out this pit that none of the parents knew we were digging, and the man didn't even know we were digging. But entire summer, there were seven of us that took our little army shovels. Remember the army shovel that folded down like that? And, uh, and we would take and we would dig it. Uh, so uh, just things like that. A lot of great memories, like the time Kim and I got in trouble, and my mom decided to whip us. And uh, my, mom, my mom's chasing us with her beehive hairdo and her octagon glasses. And, uh, and our house just went, you came in the front door, you took a right to the living room, walk with me. Took a right to the living room, you came through the kitchen, you came down a hallway, you emptied back out into the main room. You go all the, until it made a circle. Kim and I took off running from mom and we would run in the circle and run in the circle. We got tired and so we got on the couch and we just sat down. Mom just kept running like that. <laughs> Did not even realize that we had hopped up on the couch. And then all of a sudden when she realized we had hopped up on the couch, we had caught our breath and she's tired. We got up and went in. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but, but it's those kind of memories. It's, uh, should I keep going with memories, dear sister? Uh, so it's just those kind of memories. But as life happens and children grow up, in my mind, I can still look out and see the clouds. And then in my mind, as I grow older, now I'm peering over the side, and now I'm starting to see reality. The longer I've lived, the more reality I've seen. The longer I've lived, I've come to realize this, reality's pretty ugly. Reality, you sit here and you go, 
Okay, now there are fears and dangers that happen. In the book of Joel, if you're there, Joel is only three chapters long. It contains 73 verses. In fact, uh, the book of Joel ranks number 51 in the Bible concerning the number of words, and it's just behind 1 Thessalonians. But here, if you'll go to Joel chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, verse 2, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land, hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? What he's saying is the condition that we're going to be looking at, he was truly saying that the condition that they were living in. Joel turns to the old men, he said, could you ever remember a time when the condition now is ever like in the days of your father? What he's trying to say is it's getting worse. It's not getting better. In fact, if you can look at the landscape this way, and I often refer to the geography of the books of the Bible, we start out in Genesis, and we pinnacle all the way to Psalms, and we plateau at the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Song of Psalms, the Ecclesiastes, and right in there. And then all of a sudden, when you get to Isaiah, mankind, or should I say the people of God, take a downward trek to where their heart and their ritual Their heart and their performance where they used to do because they love, they just now do and their love is not for the Lord. And all of a sudden, it started dividing. By the time we get to Malachi, and I've said it often, is the time that all of a sudden we're in Malachi and the lights go out between these chapters right here as far as we can see in the Bible But all the way down to the book of Joel, Joel turns around and looks at the present men. He said, you tell me, did your fathers or your grandfathers or your forefathers, did they ever tell you of a time it was this bad? And I'm going to stop and tell you this, that if you have children today, and you're raising children in 2020, it is worse today than it has ever been. I don't, I'm not a doomsday guy. I don't have food stored up for something coming, the apocalypse. I'm not that kind of guy. But I am having to bring to myself to this reality that you just can't let your children go play anywhere they want to play. And you just can't let your children now go roam anywhere they want to roam. And this world is godless. This world does not put God at the top of everything that they do. Now, praise God we live in East Texas. Praise God we live in this Arklatex region. And praise God that we can go to a store and we can talk about God. Listen to this. East Texas living is rare. And East Texas living is not the norm across this entire world. I want to preach on this subject. Tell your children. Tell your children. Joel comes to these people and he says, listen, listen, have you ever seen it this bad? All of a sudden we're in a point to where... This world that we're living in, this is not good. And the land is being destroyed. He said, I want you to turn around, look at verse 3, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and let their children another generation. What he's saying is, you have got to take the children right around you and you've got to be this voice and you need to tell them. And we're going to find out the three things that need to be a constant 
theme in what you tell your children so that they might know what to tell their children so that they might know what to tell their children. And it needs to be said that my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother told us these things. We need to start passing down some biblical terminology and some biblical things to our children because they've got to know that while they're growing up and when they're young and the sky is blue and the sky is bright, that as they grow up and they peer into this world, they need to know some things about God. They need to know some things that they can carry with them in their heart that my daddy told me this and my grandfather told me this. Brother John was telling me during the handshaking that he met your son, Brother Combest. Uh, Brother Combest met your son, uh, 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 Joe, the tall one. All of them are tall. Uh, so, and it's amazing, Brother Combest, how that your sons and now your grandsons, that you sit in the same church with three generations. That's amazing to me. I, 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 Brother Hampton... I look at you and I, and I see that now three generations. Brother Summerford, three generations. How many right now go to church and you're part of generations of people that sit in this church? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Do we all not want to be in heaven one day peering over knowing? Look at, look at that. My grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-grandchildren are being able to weather the reality of how wicked a world is but still keep their belief in God. Can I say that again? Our children need to be able to weather the evil of this society and still believe God's on his throne and still believe that God is in control. I have no greater joy than to hear that my what? Children do what? Walk in truth. And I want to be in heaven and I want to hear it. I want to take this Sunday morning and I just want to let you know that it is our responsibility to tell our children. I'm only responsible, I only have influence, I should say, over two generations. That's it. I only have that influence. Right now, my son sits in the back of the auditorium to the right, my daughter to the left, and uh, my grandchildren right now are in children's church, and my grandson is sick at home, and Grace better be watching us by live stream. But I will tell you that right now, I am a father and I am a grandfather. I love to spend time with my children. I love to spend time with my grandchildren. And there will come a day when my grandchildren will tell their spouses and their children, we're going to stop by and see Grand Bob. Now, where where my children love to come see me and my grandchildren love to come see me, my great-grandchildren are going to go, do we have to? Like, like Grand Bob's old, and he's got this gray stubble, and he, and he just sits in a chair on oxygen, and he drools all the time, and, and, and he just stares. And, and, and no, no, I can see it in my mind. I, my, 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 great, my grandchildren are like, let's go see Grand Bob. And I can see these kids going another vacation at Grand Bob's house. And who's going to wipe his drool, and who's going to... Get his false teeth out and put him in his mouth. Do we really have to go? And then I can just hear the conversation. It's going to be like, bend down and give Grand Bob a kiss. And it's going to be like, oh, but he smells. And, 
And hey, let me tell you, right now I'm cool in the eyes of my grandchildren, but my great-grandchildren are going to be like, no, he doesn't match. And I don't want to get a picture taken with him. And, 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 you know, come on now. It's real, isn't it? He got hair growing out his ears, and he doesn't, you know, just like, ah. So while I still am cool, and while I still have influence, listen to this, I'm going to tell my children. I'm going to be a constant voice in the ears and in the life of my children. Hey, uncles, listen to this. Don't discount your voice. Aunts, don't discount your voice. Moms and dads do not think because they look in you in your eye that they don't need your voice anymore. Oh, grandparents, you may not be able to get out there and play ball with them, and you may not be able to be as smart as they are on the phone, which irritates me right now. Uh, you may not be able to get it all down, and you don't have all the lingo, LOL, you know, W-O, whatever these things are. And they may laugh at us, but you're an influence. And there's a reason why God put you in their life right now. Here in Joel, if you will, he said, Hear this, ye old men. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Had this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? And then he comes down to verse 3. He said, You tell them. Why? How bad did it get? Look at verse 4. That which the palmer wormer hath left hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. He said, it's just getting worse. Whatever little is left of good in this society is being eaten away by other venues. Let me tell you, it all started back here. And we can trace it back to maybe this influence in the rock culture and this influence over here. And, and it may be true in your world and in your time that maybe Elvis and the Beatles, and we, we've heard preaching of this in times gone by, and it's true. But how much more depraved are the groups becoming today that now their lifestyle has just caught up with their words. Listen, the words have always been there in the songs. They've always been there in the songs. The mind has always been there in the entertainment. But now we've just gotten brave enough to put it on the screen. And all the good in society has now just keeps getting eaten away. Look what it says here in verse number 5. Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl, all, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. He was telling them, listen, all the goods being slowly eaten out of the society and then the shortage to feed addicts. What he's saying here is wake up. Because what's fed your addiction is being cut off from your mouth. Then look what it says here in verse 6. For a nation has come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion. He hath the cheek, uh, the, the, the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste, verse 7, and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. You know what he's saying? We've been invaded. And I'm just going to stop. And let you know that if you cannot see and I cannot recognize how bad the society's getting and how quickly everybody's running to it, but I still believe. I still believe that there are some children that once they hear about their God, 
that they will embrace their God and they will live for their God, how else do you account for young men and young ladies right now sitting in the auditorium that you could choose to go anywhere and do anything, but you're here right now? Why? Because somebody in your life told you that God is still alive, that the world is still wicked, and that you and I can live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said, tell your children. Tell ye your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What are we going to tell our children? What needs to be the theme that we hand down? Would you please go to the book, Joel chapter 1 and verse number 14. Joel chapter 1 and verse 13, verse 14. I'll get it out. Look what it says here. Look what it says. Tell your children what? First of all, sanctify. Would, would you circle that, please? Sanctify. There are some things that need to be drilled into our children, and these things that need to be drilled into our children that we need to tell our children are very simple. It is this. Listen, no matter how bad this world gets, you sanctify yourself. The word sanctification simply means to set apart. Look what he says here. Sanctify ye a what? Fast. It's still relevant today. Don't discount this because this is in the Old Testament. Let's not be those kind of believers. Let's understand that God gave us his eternal word, and he's saying this. If it worked back here when the lights were dim and this, this, this contempt for the things of God was high, it'll work today. And what needs to happen is you need to sanctify a fast. There needs to be a season in your world to where you shut off the TV and you shut off all the outside entertainment and you just sanctify a time. Get out a board game. Sit around and talk. Because our children need to hear this. They need to hear that being plugged into the world system 24-7 does not help the morals of any person. Could I meddle just a little bit? You know how you know it's time to take away the video game from your children? It's when they don't hear you call their name the first time. Come on. You say, well, can I do that with my husband, with his TV? No, just the children. <laughs> sanctify. Look what it says. Joel 1.14. Sanctify, sanctify ye a fast. Look at this. Call a solemn what? Assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the what, please? House of the Lord your God. Oh, my friend. Did you hear that? That's not an Old Testament thing. That's a believer thing. And let's never forget this, that you and I have to raise our children around the assembly. We are living in a day and time where people are discounting what you're sitting in right now. We are living in a day and time where people are like, well, you know, I don't need to assemble. Oh, my friend. We need to assemble because our children need to grow up and know that there's an assembly of believers that lift up God. There's an assembly of believers that love the Lord Almighty. There's a symbol, an assembly of believers going on that I need to sanctify myself. I need to be set apart to go mingle with the believers, to hear an adult man say, praise the Lord, while a hundred adult men are cursing God. They need to hear some man in the house of God say, praise God. Come on now. 
Our young men are growing up around a society to where ladies don't know how to dress and ladies have no morals. Good night, man. Let's put them inside of an assembly to where they can see that's what a real lady is. You need to have an example that you can point to your children and say, look at me, son, that's a real man. Look at me, daughter, that's what a real Christian lady looks like. That's why we need this assembly. And don't let anybody ever tell you that you are a better Christian outside of a consistent assembly of believers than you are inside. Because he said this, tell your children. What are we going to tell them? In the midst of a perverse and crooked nation, sanctify, assemble. Then look what it says here, cry. Isn't that amazing? You just don't assemble for the sake of sitting. We assemble for the sake of crying. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please. We need you, God. Y'all, you the reason we're here together is because we want all of our hearts to let our God know. There's one of your houses right now that your children are gathered in, and we are, we are assembling, and our children need to grow up with this, with this innocent view of the heavens like I was in, back there in the late 60s. And, and, and as we get to reality, we need to adjust our children back up to heaven and say no matter how bad reality gets, there still is a God on a throne, and there still is a right way to to worship and a right way to live but if they're not in the assembly to where the majority of people here are lifting their voice and singing you know brother Melvin Miss Rachel Ross I put him to sleep but he's in the assembly as he's walking down the hallway he's going to meet adults who have no no ulterior motive but God, but God. Oh, you young people, listen to me. Don't get out of going to the assembly. Don't get out of going to the assembly. God gave us an assembly. Last night, Kelly and I traveled to Commerce, Texas, and I was able to uh, do a banquet for the church over there, Victory Baptist Church. And if you teenagers will remember Several, several years ago, uh, we went to help pass out literature and pass out things about the church, help this church plant get going. And as we sat in that fellowship hall type building, and I sat with people that assembled. The laughter, the joking, the love. And when I walked away from that assembly, I, I thought to myself, we got in our truck when driving back home last night, I thought to myself, those people are blessed. Because I don't know what they're going to face out there, but they just left an assembly that was all about the Lord. Oh, tell your children, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And every time you get to assemble, oh, tonight, don't stay home from the assembly. Wednesday, don't stay away from the assembly. Next Sunday morning, don't stay away from the assembly. And if it's within your power to be here, be here. You say, why? So that we can assemble. Why? So our children can sit there and our children can know that's what a couple looks like. Male and female. 
that's how ladies dress. That's how men dress. That, that's what a real family looks like. That's what a godly person looks like. You see, this assembly is doing more for your children than what I could ever do behind the pulpit. They're not going to remember. Listen to this. They're not going to remember half of what I preach, but boy, they'll remember a handshake, and they'll remember that deacon, and they'll remember that person, and they'll remember that person, and they'll grow up with this idea that is a heavenly idea. That way, when they meet dysfunctional, that they know. Now that assembly, that's where it's at. The second thing, we're to tell our children, look at Joel chapter 2. These three things are found in the subsequent chapters. Joel chapter 2. And look what he said to them. And rend your hearts and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meal offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Oh, my friend, the next thing we need to hand to our children is this. It's more about your heart than it is anything else. Now, liberals take that to say this. Oh, then it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. Let me tell you, if you and I have the right heart, the outside always becomes holier. When we rend our heart. You know what that word literally means? It literally means to tear flesh apart. What he said was, don't rend your garments. You see, they would rend their garments as a pseudo fake token of repentance. And then their heart couldn't wait to get back to the other lifestyle. They would, it would be a fake tearing to where outwardly they would look like, oh, they love God, and oh, they just, no, 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 no. You know what he said? You used to rend your garments. Listen to this now. You used to be like David. You would rend your garments because your heart was tore up. But your love for the Lord has gone so cold that now you just rend your garments for the sake of of rendering. He said, I'm tired of seeing you rip your clothes. When's it going to go much deeper to where you do that to your heart? What, what is better? A, a solo for performance sake? A preacher for performance sake? Or your heart going, God, God, I need you. God, I want you to know right now I am so, listen to this, tore up. I, I, I right now am tore up about my life. I am tore up about my holiness. I am tore up about my passion. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to rend your clothes. Thank you. I don't want you to rend your clothes. But you know what needs to happen? On the inside, we need to be tearing it up. We need to be saying, God, here's my heart. And that's why don't let it be something you hand down to your children of a ritual without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because churches are too predictable. We do this now, we do this now, we do this now, we do this now, we do this now. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to give a token. No, no, no. You know what we tell our children? We tell our children this. Hey, listen to me. Assemble. We tell our children this, make sure your heart is rending. 
Do you, do you know when, when we were raising our children, all I wanted was correction. Now, my two kids, when they hear this, they're going to go, good night. I should have went back. If I'd known that, I could have stayed out of a lot of whippings. But, you know, there were some times they deserved a spanking. And I had full intention of spanking them. But when I walked into the room, there were those times that those tears would escape those eyes. And they would say, I'm sorry. What is the purpose of correction? The purpose of correction is to get to the heart. Repentance, that's the purpose of correction. And guess what? If they already are experiencing it, then I don't need to correct. And this is what church is all about. We should come in and go, God, God, I'm rending my heart. God, I'm, poor, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching and tearing it. And on the outside, we may look good, but all oh, you listen to this, on the inside, it should be a bloody mess from where we have just rendered. And we've said, God, I need you. The third thing we're to tell our children is Joel chapter 3. And I'm done with this. I love this. I love this. Joel chapter 3. <clears throat> so he goes through Joel chapter 3 and verse number 1. And he said, behold, for behold, in those days and at that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and part of my land. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. Proclaim ye among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. So he's going through all this. Get all the way down to verse number 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Then look at verse 16. I love this. The Lord also shall what? Roar out of Zion. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Look at verse 17. So shall ye know that I am the Lord. You know, this is prophetic. And listen to me. All of our words need to be prophetic in the ears of our children. You see, the things we can do presently is this. We can assemble. But from the point of assembling, this is when God has to do the work on the heart of our children. And God has to come in. And God has to rend. But you know what we always need to be saying? Hey, listen to this, son. Daughter, listen to this. Don't put too much stock in this day or in this life. Because one day it's all going to be over. And guess who wins? God. It needs to be a constant. It's what we give our children. We give our children, oh, get there at the assembly. That's real living. Not the tavern. Not the bar. Not, not, the, not some social. Get the church, get there to the assembly. Make sure you keep your heart soft. Make sure you keep it tender with the Lord. God will work on you. God will fix whatever. Just keep your heart tender. And then always know this, children. God always wins in the end. And let them live this way. Let them live this way. 
And let them pass to their children a confidence. The devil does not win in the end. God wins in the end. Boy, when we get down to that last part of Revelation, listen to this. He's coming back. He's coming back. He won't be in fatigues and he won't be in battle gear. He will be in dress whites. And the only thing he's going to do is use his word as the sword. And with his word, everything's done. And listen to this. It may be bad here. So when you're at work and you're like, oh, this is terrible. I wish I was out of here. Oh, the devil's winning on every turn. I just start laughing. It's a temporary victory. It's a temporary victory. But God is so a fourth quarter God that he's just like stringing them along. Have you ever been set up in boxing? And I will end with this one illustration. Have you ever been set up in boxing to where you're like, oh, I'm good. I have never boxed a day in my life. Never boxed a day in my life. As far as getting used to it. I have gotten to some fights, but just, you know, putting on those gloves. They're only ounces. How heavy could they be? How many have ever boxed before? I mean, how heavy could they be? So I'm like, tape me up, put those gloves on. And it was a short guy. And we were at a camp, and I thought, how hard could this be? You know, what really made it bad is I was a youth worker, and this is an eighth, ninth grader? Come on. Come on. I'll just, you know, I'll hold him at bay, and, and you know. You know, how hard could this be? You can whoop up on him all the time. Oh, but I'm going to tell you right now. You know, he may look like he doesn't have much, but a guy who's fought all the time can whoop anybody bigger than him because he doesn't get tired. And I'm going to tell you that do not give the devil more credit than what he deserves. He's picking on mortal man. But one day, the God of the universe picks on him. But he only does it with his words. Don't you love that? He's like, gather everybody you need to gather. Come on, gather them all together. Can't you see them? Man, get that gun ready. We're going to take on God. Get, get, get whatever you have ready. We're going to take on God. And God steps up. No weapon. And he, with the sword, his words, he takes them all out. This is what we need to give to our children. Tell your children. Hey, children, church, the assembly of believers, that's where you need to be. Hey, children, keep your heart tender. Let God do a work in your heart. And number three, God always wins in the end. These three things is what we give to our children, to give to our grandchildren, to give to our grandchildren. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.